I want to say thank you for joining us here at His Hardline. Where every day we always have something going on. We have three shows that we do. We have 1% with Him. Where we spend a little time in the Bible. Spend a little time with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And every once in a while we'll mix it up. And we do a show called the EDU Spot. And every Tuesday and Friday we have what's called a His Hardline discussion. Where we talk about some deep topics. Don't forget to join us at www.hishardline.com I want to say thank you again for joining us. Let's get started. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Good evening, good afternoon, good morning. Wherever you're at in the world, it is Friday, July 29th, 2022. Happy to have you here. And you are listening to another episode called The EDU Spot here at His Hard Line. And we are continuing on with part eight of the Field Training Manual 2000-25. And as we proceed a little further, Further into this manual, it's 155 pages. We are starting for those who are reading along as they listen. We are in actually section five of the manual where we talk about economic development of America. And this is now as we get now into the middle, going into the end of this manual. Um, this is where we really get into some good solid meat and potatoes, because this is what is really what's really important and what we're going to be learning here. And so we're going to be talking about um, just different things about um, just, boy, there's just so much stuff. Let's just get right into it. Okay, shall we? Now, we're starting on page 57 of the manual. So anybody that's trying to follow along. And so we're going to get into talking about the colonial spirit. Now, 300 years ago, America was wilderness and her total white population consisted of a few hundred men, women, and children established in several small communities along the Atlantic seaboard. For the most part, they were God-fearing people led to America by the vision of a new land in which they could work out ideals and visions inspired by their deep religious convictions. Along with these groups were others were others of more worldly persu- uh, persuasion who came in the spirit of adventure or to escape political conditions, which in the changing reign of the rulers of England made their move advisable. Now, as far as the colonists, they were, the colonists were largely representative. And as a whole, the colonists were largely representative of the life of the life thought and aspirations of that period. They were not Superman and women any more than they were of the vicious type. They were moved by the impulses common to humanity, chief of which is always that of self-preservation, a continent to conquer. Now here they found a vast and unknown continent in the possession of roving tribes of Indians, a wilderness of great forests, mighty rivers, and boundless prairies. Theirs for the taking, if they possessed the ability and courage to conquer the all but insurmountable obstacles and dangers. And they also had limited facilities. And so forced back or forced by lack of any other means than those contained in hand and brain, lacking all facilities of communication, transportation, or manufacturing, other than such contrivances as the assailing vessel, the axe, spinning wheel, wooden plow, and flintlock rifle, their progress in the first 150 years was necessarily slow and restricted. Now, as far as chief pursuits, agriculture, and seafaring, 
The colonists labored under the burden of heavy restrictions imposed by the mother country, which prevented the establishment of home industries. As their first occupation, they engaged, engaged in tilling the soil that they might have food and clothing. Now, during her first 150 years of existence, America grew to be a people of some 3 million souls and was forced to confine her development to agriculture and seafaring pursuits. Building up a seafaring trade, she transported the raw material of the new land to England, France, Holland, and Spain, there to be exchanged for the necessities of life not produced by their own handicraft. Now, the Federation of the Colonists. Industrial progress came with the establishment of the new nation. The United States of America, lacking capital other than that of character, courage, and concentrated labor, the bankrupt colonies were welded into a union of action which, was, which has led our nation by successive stages to its present attainments, the marvel and wonder of modern time. Encouraged by constitutional provisions, in the government set up under the constitutional provision was made for a freedom of action which gives full play to every citizen in the exercise of his rights and powers. The wisdom of the law of our land is emphasized with each passing year. The remarkable economic development of America is based upon the liberties and restrictions granted as the equal right of all her citizens. Outstanding among these provisions are the money clause. Now, the money clause establishes credit through the sole power vested in the federal government to coin money, incur national obligations through issues of bonds or notes of indebtedness, establishment of our national bank, and later our Federal Reserve Bank system, forbidding any state from incurring financial obligations with foreign powers or other states. Now, there was the post office clause. The post office clause through which communication is regulated through the states and with the world at large is a duty alone of the national government. In this clause are found the rules and regulations governing mail, telegraph and telephone lines and the radio. Strict regulations hold all accountable for matters transmitted by mail. As to its truthful and fraudulent character, rates are fixed by the government with equal application to all. Now you have the Commerce Clause. The Commerce Clause set up an agency of exceptional worth by reason of the freedom granted in interstate traffic, the elimination of barriers, duties, or restrictions which might otherwise be created in exchange, sale, and shipment for state to state. Citizens of any state have equal rights as citizens of the United States subject only to such local laws as apply to all citizens of the state within which business is transacted. The Taxing Clause The Taxing Clause permits taxes to be levied for the requirements of government only. Such taxes to be uniform in application and subject to revision as necessity governs. Then you have the Naturalization Clause. The Naturalization Clause establishes one class of citizens only, with, with equality to all and privilege to none. Under this and the Immigration Acts, our nation is assured a strength and unity of purpose and action and an equality of citizenship that could not otherwise be attained. Then you have what's called the fixed terms of office. Fixed terms of office are system of government by which definite terms of office are assured, give stability to business in the fact that in no crisis can an administration be overthrown in a day. 
through dissolution of Congress or the resignation of the cabinet, parties may rise and fall without serious effect upon our economic life. Hmm. Kind of sounds a little bit what we kind of have going on through this interregnum status, as I call it. Now we have what's called the free land and opportunity. Now, other important factors in our economic development were free land and diversified natural resources. In these America has been particularly blessed. Lack of capital prevented none from making progress in America. For the first 250 years, the immigrant to our shores knew that the door of opportunity was wide open. Landing with barely enough money to pay transportation to this chosen destination and with no hindrance other than that of being a stranger in a new country, both land and employment were to be had for the asking. Westward Ho. Through the liberal liberality of our government and the vast land areas open for settlement, there was established and developed the largest and richest agricultural territory now under cultivation in the world. For nearly 100 years following the War of Independence, the cry was Westward Ho. By families and by groups, the creaking ox-drawn Sooners wended their way slowly toward the setting sun. Driving the Indians and wild game before them, they cut the forest, broke the sod, planted, harvested, built home, school, church, and town, preparing the way for the next step in our progress, the railroad. Now, the influence of the Civil War. Now, before any great railroad development had taken place, the peaceful life of our country was interrupted by the Civil War. It is questionable if that struggle with its frightful loss of life and treasure would ever have taken place had railroads been constructed linking the North and the South. In 1860, there were only some 30,000 miles of railroad in America, nearly all of which ran east and west by reason of the fact that our great rivers flow from north to south and our railroads could not then compete with river transportation. Huh, did not know that. It's interesting. In 1860, no railroad was built farther west than the Mississippi River. West of that stream, the country was almost entirely given over to the great herds of buffalo and roving Indians. Now, with the close of the Civil War, the impetus given industry by the necessity of making war materials, the development of steel, and a growing appreciation of the value of rail transportation caused a marked advance in our economic life. The acquaintance of masses of men from every section of the country and the close ties formed by their association through the war added its force to the awakening of a new era. Now, as far as capital control, capital saw great opportunity for profit through development of our vast natural resources. Foreign capital was uh, attracted. Combinations were formed. These groups were able to obtain concessions, and rights, quickly developing a power of control over industry which placed in the hands of the comparative few the economic life of America. Now, the need for cheap labor. With capital consolidated, only labor was required for this exploitation of our natural resources. America was too vast in area and too small in population to furnish the labor. By then existing immigration laws, the doors were open, the world might enter. 
Capital needed labor, and it must be cheap labor. Then we come to the new emigration. Now, the man with the hoe, in quotes, was invited and urged to find in free America his great opportunity. He came by thousands, tens, then tens and hundreds of thousands. The former class of immigrant had come to America to take up land and become farmers and builders of homes and communities. They were followed by thousands who worked in the noise and sweat of our great steel mills and our coal mines and our factories, which quickly built up within our cities, large congested areas with great sections, almost entirely composed of single nationalities. Labor was exploited, voted, worked, or left unemployed. Then we have the citizen control. Now, following the war with Spain in 1898, a change was inaugurated, led by far-seeing men who recognized the danger to our free government in the increasing power of capital. The people developed a system of control through Congress which broke or checked its combinations. Industry had greatly developed during this period. Wealth had been amassed as never before, yet the economic life of America had suffered. Equality of opportunity was largely restricted and classes with intense class hatred were created. Hmm. As far as the adaption to abnormal conditions. Now, as we, in 1917, there came a national emergency. One class alone, the American citizen, and I say that in quotes, took precedence. America astounded the world with her ability to adapt herself to abnormal conditions, converting her peacetime factories and equipment to wartime requirements. Labor advancement during the World War, the wage earner learned to put his excess money into liberty bonds. He caught the idea of investment, acquired the habit of systematic savings, and discovered the strength that lies in consolidating the small savings of the many. He began to understand the meaning of capital, lost his fear of it, and found a way to have a part in its benefits. Now, as far as mass production and high wages... The conclusion of the war found America committed to mass production, mass cooperation, and mass saving. These were some of the blessings that accrued out of the hell of war. Industry awakened to the astonishing fact that high wages to labor increased rather than diminished profits by the simple process of increasing the buying power of millions of employed. And as we talk about steady employment, industry learned the value of steady employment. It sought ways of regulating production to give work the year around. Seasonal employment ate up savings, weakened buying power, destroyed credit, increased cost of production caused by idle equipment and accumulated stocks. Intensive efforts of industry. Industry was set up. Research bureaus stimulated inventors, chemists, and scientists to greater efforts in a search for better machines and methods, the elimination of waste in materials, and in developing byproducts therefrom. Through these intense efforts, production per man power has been largely increased, new products created, markets enlarged, and industry stimulated. The Creditor Nation In the early history of American industry, foreign capital was invested by millions of dollars in our great enterprises. We were a debtor nation. Today, we are the creditor nation. Production, the basis of wealth and wages. 
There is no actual wealth in materials, metal, or money until they are adjusted to the use, needs, or wants of mankind. Production is the basis of wealth. In no other country do wages approach the sum paid the individual workmen of America. The contributing factors to this highly satisfactory situation are summed up in the word, quote, production, end quote. American production per manpower ranges from two and one half to 30 times that of other nations. Mechanized industry. Industry in America is mechanized and specialized to a degree not approached by any other country. Our automatic labor-saving and power-driven machinery is the wonder of Europe. Our mass production made possible by special machinery and highly trained operators astounds the world with its magnitude, quality, and low cost. Higher self-appreciation. Modern methods of industry discipline the lazy, wasteful, and disloyal workmen. Sped up production work out shortcuts, improve quality, and eliminate waste, thereby contributing largely to lower costs through greater efficiency. At the time, there is engendered a higher appreciation in the employee of his worth to himself, his employer, and his country. Employee became, excuse me, employee becomes employer. A keener sense of pride awakens ambition. A quickened intellect inspires study. A broader view of life reveals opportunity, creates new desires expressed in higher living standards, and a rapidly growing participation in industry as a partner through purchase of stock in different enterprises. And through quickened intelligence and systematic saving, the employee of today becomes the employer of tomorrow. At a dinner in New York given in 1927 to a group of British workers investi investigating American industry, every American captain of industry present, save one, came up from the overall stage. High standards of living. Now, human needs are few by comparison with human wants. Were it not for ever-increasing desires for the comforts, conveniences, and luxuries of life, modern industry would be unable to sustain itself. Civilization is the result of human demands, the combination of spiritual and material aspirations. In no other nation have these aspirations been so fully satisfied. The standard of living established by any group or nation is based upon a distribution of wealth. The closer together we bring the extremes of wealth and poverty, the higher the attainments and general welfare of the people. Ability to purchase. Power of consumption is based upon the ability to purchase and pay for the desired commodities. In America, the employee re receives 72% and the employer 28% percent of the income of industry, constituting a range of wealth distribution which fixes our living standards at the highest point known in the world. Is America worth saving? The remarkable development of American industry has proven beneficial to all, not only to employer and employee, but also to the world. America has amassed unbelievable wealth, which is being spent for the good of mankind. In its large range of distribution, it has 
fixed our standards of living at the highest point known to civilization. We may therefore answer, yes, America is well worth saving. And so we end on page 68, and that is section five of the field training manual 2000-25. And of course, at the end of that section, there is a questionnaire, of course, which we don't really touch on too much, but it does ask some very interesting questions because you got to remember this, this training manual was put together for, as a course. And like I said, in the very beginning, in part one and part two, I was talking about how General Douglas MacArthur back in the mid, you know, early to mid fifties, he handpicked some of the brightest and smartest, I mean, very just sharp young men who were part of the special forces and trained them on this manual as well as the constitution to help rebuild a nation back to a republic, a constitutional republic. And like I have often said and will continue to say, there is a reason why FDR wanted this training manual destroyed and to have the production and the printing of it ceased. There are very key people in our de facto government that really want this country to turn into a communistic state, into a communistic nation. And there were key people in our de facto government, our corporate government, that made it their mission to do and carry out those very orders to make our nation into a, well, almost kind of like a second USSR in a way. But this manual here, at the behest of General Douglas MacArthur and the special forces that trained under him. Because of those few men is the reason why we are not facing communism today, part and parcel, I should say. And so when we proceed on the next part of this EDU spot, which will be part nine, and like I said, there it's as we start getting further into the readings of this, like, so part six, as kind of a little bit of a teaser, it's going to start talking about individual initiative, where we talk about, you know, equality of condition, the denial of personal rights and the confiscation of private property. And, um, you know, we talk about economic freedom, political rights, protection to home and family, respect for religion. And um, I'm reading here in the chat board. Oh, Destry's here. Hey, welcome. <laughs> he was saying 1952. The Democratic Party adopted the Communist Party. Doesn't surprise me there. And there's a reason, ladies and gentlemen, why General Douglas MacArthur in the 50s did what he did by picking the men that he needed to, to train them up on this manual, 2000-25, as well as the Constitution, because he knew very well what was about to take place if these people had their way. He knew exactly where this nation would be led had that Democratic Party of 1952 were overall successful in their plans. Now, I will say this. They almost got away with it. They almost took this nation. But they did not succeed. And this is one of the reasons why, ladies and gentlemen, why I'm reading this manual, 2000-25, I urge anybody who is a homeschooler, read this in your daily lessons. This is a great manual. This needs to be part of homeschooling cur curriculum, hands down. 
And so when we proceed on another day, like I said, the EDU spot is the one and only show that kind of comes at random. It just depends on where my day's at. If I have some extra time, I try to at least bare minimum fit in two. I'm going to try to up it my game and fit three a week. Again, I'm not going to situate any specific time and date, but one thing you will, oh, excuse me, let me correct myself. No specific days, but one thing you can be assured of is after um, a 1% with him reading, a Bible reading, which ranges between 15 and 25 minutes, depending on what I have going on that evening, I might get a, you know, a wild nerve up my spine and I might just do a reading, you know, and do an EDU spot show. But the daily Bible reading happens every day except Saturdays, and the His Hardline discussions happens on Tuesdays and Fridays, um, unless I say otherwise. You know, if we happen to have a change in the schedule, and it might change maybe slightly. But as far as the EDU spot where we talk about the 2000-25, that'll be at random, but it'll always be after the 8 o'clock hour, eight ten time frame after we get done with the 1% with him. That much I can guarantee you as far as the time goes. It just depends on the day and what I have going on and, you know, it just depends. So that is all I have today for the EDU spot. That is part eight of the reading of the training manual 2000-25. And like I said, for those of you that like to read along as you listen, we ended on page 64. So when we come back here again, we're going to be reading starting with page 65, section six. And like I said, we're going to be talking about individual initiative. And so with that, I hope you all have a wonderful day, wonderful evening, night, morning, afternoon, wherever you're at in the world. We thank you so very much. I hope you have a blessed weekend. And we'll be back here. Um, excuse me. No, we will not. Not tomorrow. Tomorrow Saturday. Tomorrow is my day off on the podcast. We will be back here on Sunday for 1% with him. And I might actually do another reading on Sunday So, uh, of the manual. So come back on Sunday at 20 to 8. That's 7.40 Eastern Time. That is 17.40 Eastern Time. And uh, for some of you out there who likes to operate on military time, that's 1940. So we'll be back here at 1940 on Sunday. Have a great day.